0: Amen. I'm here in Acts chapter number 8 of course we come to a book that has become one of my favorite uh, books of the Bible, and that is the book of Acts. Uh, I'm so thankful for uh, God giving us this book. I told my class this morning that uh, if, that, that uh, in the New Testament there is a history book, and it is called the book of Acts. The Bible is a book of history, and uh, the Old Testament has several historical books that give us the history of the nation of Israel, and the The New Testament has the book of Acts that gives us the acts or the actions of the apostles that tell us about what happened uh, after Jesus died on the cross, after he rose from the dead, after he spent uh, 40 days with them, teaching them uh, things concerning the kingdom of God. And after Acts chapter number one, where Jesus' feet left this earth uh, only to uh, return again in a moment, I believe to be just around the corner. Corner. Amen. Uh, but he left this world by way of his ascension and he now sits on the right hand of the throne of God. And from that moment when he ascended, he began to fulfill a promise that he made to his disciples where he told them that after he was gone, he would send them another comforter and he would send them one that would empower them, that would guide them into all truth and empower them to do the work of God. That comforter. That empowering agent, that uh, that that director, that teacher that he gives is none other than of the Holy Ghost of God. And so now these Christians, these believers who had once walked with Jesus and had followed him and had given their life to him are now going forward and serving God in the power of the sent Holy Ghost as they operate in the power of the Holy Ghost and they begin to work a work that has called and has been coined uh, the Great Commission. They heard what Jesus told them in Acts chapter 8 verse 1 where he said, but ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. They began in Acts chapter number 1 all the way through Acts chapter number 7 to begin to enter into that first phase of the Great Commission ministry of ministering in Jerusalem. That's Acts chapter number 1 through Acts chapter number 7. All of the apostles, all of those that made up that Jerusalem church, they were ministering for God in Jerusalem. But then in Acts chapter number 8, something happens that begins to cause them to enter into that second phase of the Great Commission, that work of God, and that is that the Lord allowed there to be uh, some events that took place that worked as a catalyst uh, toward the uh, church of God, those believers uh, spreading into other areas outside of the city of Jerusalem and began to go to Samaria uh, throughout Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth where you and I sit today in the United States of America having had the gospel brought to This nation to where we could hear the gospel in our lifetime in this country in this state in our town that we grew up in and that we're in today to hear the gospel and be born again. It took God allowing the gospel to go from the other side of the world to here. I know we interpret the Bible a lot of times from an American mindset, but where we sit today, according to the Bible, is the uttermost part of the earth from. Where the Great Commission began. And God is beginning that action of the apostles. He is beginning to move uh, the, uh, the, 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 the uh, center focus of the Great Commission to not just be located in Jerusalem, but now in Acts chapter number 7, we find an individual that we've read today uh, that have brought the gospel to uh, the Samaritan region. Amen. And so I want us to look at some things this morning. And I want to... and. And I want to preach on uh, this morning. I want to preach on the subject of the ministry of the master in motion. The ministry of the master in emotion. And that's what we see taking place in Acts chapter number 7, Acts chapter number 8. Amen. Really in these first few chapters. But when we come to chapter 8, as the Great Commission work, as the work of God is now entering into Samaria, we see that God has a movement and a motion to the work that Christ, these disciples, master, has called for them to engage in. I'll just say this this morning what we're going to be celebrating as we have stirred these baptismal waters and as we're going to be passing baptismal candidates through the waters this morning. You know what that is? It is a sign that here at Beacon Baptist Church the gospel ministry and the work of the Great Commission is still the ministry of our Master in motion in this place. Amen. And so uh, I wanted to just remind us about that this morning. Look at Acts chapter chapter number 8 and verse number 1. And I'm going to have to hurry through a lot of verses, so I hope you've read your Bible in the book of Acts uh, sometime recently where you can recall it uh, to mind. Amen. But here we see in verse number 1 and 2, just quickly give you a few thoughts as we consider the ministry of the Master in motion. In verse 1 and 2 we see that the movement begins with a murder. That's, That's almost... That's almost uh, something that's difficult to say or even to think about but that truly is the truth of God. As the ministry of Jesus Christ moves from Jerusalem to Samaria, it begins with murder. It begins with persecution. Look at Acts chapter 8 verse 1. The Bible said, and Saul was consenting unto his death. Who is the his uh, pronoun referring to here in uh, Acts chapter 8 verse verse 1. All of our Bible students here would know, uh, amen, that this is referring to Stephen. His death is referring to Stephen. At the end of Acts chapter number 7, Stephen was a man that was full of the Holy Ghost, was the very first one that was listed in a list of seven men that had been called by the apostles to be the very first deacons. And Stephen was told to to us to be a man uh, that was, uh, uh, was part of that group, amen. And he began a preaching ministry History. Steve, I've said this before to you guys, amen, so just bear with me before repeating it, but Stephen was a man who preached his first, his last, and his only message all wrapped up in the same sermon, amen. You know you've got to be preaching rough where the people hear you for one sermon, and they say, that's it, I'm not going to take any more, and I'm not going to give him the chance to preach to anybody else, we're just going to kill him right here where he stands. Well, I stole him to death, and we know the story of Stephen. how he was faithful and how God gave him a vision of heaven of Jesus standing on the right hand of the throne of God as he exited this world in a wonderful testimony for the cause of Christ. And the Bible says this about Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter number 8 and verse number 1. This is the man that would later be saved by the grace of God and be known later in Christian history as the Apostle Paul. The Bible says this about this, murdered that took place, and that, by the way, that's what Stephen's death was. We may try to spruce it up and make it sound uh, real nice and neat by calling it martyrdom, but what it, it was martyrdom on Stephen's part as God looked at his death, but in the eyes of uh, but in the, uh, as we look at the other side, at those that were throwing the stones, it wasn't much more than just cold-blooded murder. Right. Right. They murdered him. And that made it amazing how God can take something so horrible and so heinous and work something so good through it. Amen. It was his murder that began to take the movement of God's work from just being located in the city of Jerusalem and never going beyond that. And it was that that God used to see the gospel spread. There's a murder here. And the Bible said that Saul was consenting unto his death. That means that Saul, the man that... Became The apostle Paul When they murdered When the Jews murdered Stephen He approved of it He agreed With it The word uh, consent means to agree In principle Now you I read that definition And you may agree with me When it comes to murder I don't see a whole lot of what I would consider Principle about it We talk about a man of principle or a woman of principle. We don't normally think about someone who is a murderous fiend as these Jews were. The Bible said they were filled with such hatred toward his preaching that they gnashed on him with their teeth. They snarled at him and bit on him and murdered him in that way. That's a bunch of murderous fiends if you ask me. And the Bible said that Saul consented to it. He agreed with the principle behind what was going on. It meant that he was willing for it to happen. He was agreeable with the fact that it did happen. He thought well of the fact that they murdered Stephen. He thought it was a good day in the life of the Jewish people that they murdered Stephen. It means to feel gratified with. It means to applaud. He was grateful that Stephen was dead. He was applauding the fact that they had murdered Stephen. That's what that first line is telling us about Saul that would become the Apostle Paul. But here, before he saved by the grace of God, he became a wonderful Christian. But it is amazing how far we will go and how warped our minds can be before we give our hearts to Jesus. There's a murder. It was a murder by Saul. Saul's name means desired. And he would have been a man that as far as religiously speaking for the Pharisees would have been one that every one of them would have wanted uh, to be like. The reason why still, uh, Saul does what he does is because he has been such a good Jew. He has been such a good Pharisee that they have given him the authority to do the things that he did. Notice what the Bible goes on to say. The Bible says in Saul verse 1 of chapter 8 was consenting unto his death, unto Stephen's death. And at that there was a great persecution against the church, those that were saved, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Now let me ask you this, is that an accident that the two areas they mentioned they were spread into was Judea and Samaria? No, it was no accident. Jesus said you'd be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem. They were already doing that. This persecution came up through Saul uh, came in through Saul's uh, murdering of Stephen and the Jews murdering of Stephen and the persecution scattered those that were saved to Judea said you'd be witnessing to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and then the third one was in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth God has his master plan in motion even in the midst of heavy persecution there is a there's a murder here mentioned it was a murder by Saul It was the murder of Stephen. The Bible said they consented unto his death, Stephen's death. Stephen was a man that was called. He was called to be one of the first deacons in Acts chapter number 6. He was a man who was clean. The Bible tells us he lived holy and clean before God, and he had a testimony of being a holy man before others. Amen. He was a man that was called, was clean. He was a man that was consecrated. The Bible told us that he was a man that was sold out to God. He had a good testimony not just for his clean living before man, but he had a testimony because of his consecration before God. Amen. He had a testimony with men and a testimony with God. I wonder how many of us have both a testimony, a good testimony with men and a good testimony before God. The Bible tells us that he was consecratedly serving God in his church and his community. He was feeding widows. He was taking care of the church's needs as a deacon of the church, a servant of of the church there and then we see here in our text not only was he called clean and consecrated but he was also carried. The Bible says there in verse number 2 talks about Stephen's death in verse number 1 verse number 2 the Bible says in devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. You know as I read that verse I think about the fact that these devout men these devout Christians were more mourning over him so greatly and making great lamentation, great cry, pouring out of, of great emotion because as they think about the man that Stephen was and the man that they lost, they lost a fantastic soldier of the cross. They lost a fantastic worker in the ministry. They lost someone that would deeply be missed. And their ministry there in Jerusalem would never be the same because he was missing. He was carried to his burial site by these devout men. So we see a murder in verse 1 and 2. Then let me say this. We see a mention in verse number 3. The Bible said, as for Saul... He made havoc of the church entering into every house and hauling men and women. I read, in a, I read in a dictionary while I was studying this word hauling. They said it was an archaic word not used in use anymore. Obviously they hadn't been to the south. Because right. I was I don't know about you guys. I wasn't aware that the word hauling was an archaic word not in common use anymore. I've used a whole bunch of times. Hey man, uh, what, what are y'all doing with that, with that truck? Well we're just hauling all this stuff someplace. Amen. Uh, that's what most of you have trucks. And if I asked you why you have it, you would say, so I can haul some stuff. Amen. <laughs> I didn't know that, Amen. but here's what the Bible said. Saul was doing with people. Saul was doing this with Christians. He made havoc. He made a destruction of the church and made, a, made, made all kinds of panic in the church because he was going into people's houses and dragging them out as criminals and dragging them out of their homes and throwing them into prison for nothing more than being a Christian. I'm not here to preach on Saul this morning, but I will say this, what a wonderful change Jesus can make in somebody's life to take someone that was happy and glad about a Christian being murdered and then go in and get men but not just men and women too and drag them out of their homes and out of their safety and commit them to prison cast them forcefully into prison and then not too very long after he's doing all of this the Bible said he met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and he was never the same the one they used to persecute the church and persecute those they named. The name of Christ became the chief one that declared and preached Jesus to the ends of the earth. Amen. We see a mention here. Verse number 3 All it is is simply here in the biblical history of this book of Acts a mention of what kind of man uh, the, the, uh, Saul was before he was saved and what his actions were at the time. Amen. We see a murder. We see a mention. Now look at verse 4. We see a movement. This is what I've already talked about a little bit today. The Bible said in verse 4, therefore because of that persecution because of what Saul was doing, the Bible said, therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Our God as I've stated this morning already is a God who is able to work all things together for good. He is a God that is able to take something as much as as terrible as as Saul, making havoc of the church and the the religious leaders of the Jewish people uh, trying to stop uh, the movement of the master's ministry, to stop uh, the the, the, uh, propagation of the gospel and the increase of the love of the church, of Jesus Christ in its earliest days. And God was able to take the effort of persecution against the church and move this church in the next phase of the great commission and the Bible said as they went persecution is still a reality being cast into prison is still a reality it is not vogue to be a Christian yet and I would say this it never really has been right You're not going to find Christians in this day making a name for themselves in a political arena in a positive way. Usually if there's a name made for them, there's usually somebody trying to kill them. But the Bible said this, and I was convicted as I studied this passage. The Bible said they're running from persecution, which by the way does not show cowardice. It shows wisdom because if they get killed, the gospel doesn't get preached. The apostles still stayed in Jerusalem. The Bible said that they were scattered everywhere except the apostles. Those men stayed where God had put them and even in threat of their life. They stayed in Jerusalem to make sure those wicked Jews still got the gospel. But for all of the others. They went elsewhere and everywhere they went, they preached the gospel, even though they could have lost their life for it. They were still faithful for the cause of Christ. And I've said this before, but those men were willing to lose their life for the gospel. And here we are, a bunch of, just a bunch of fearful Americans. Amen. We won't go across the street and tell our neighbor. We won't invite somebody to church because we're afraid of what they may say. We won't stand up and be counted as a Christian And we have fear And they went everywhere they went And they preached Christ everywhere they went They let everybody know That they were a Christian And thankful for it What conviction this brings There's a murder There's a mention There's a movement But today I want us to talk a little bit About in in verse Number five we see a man Notice this man is named for us in verse number five. The Bible said, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. This was a man that had experienced the effects of this persecution, and he allowed persecution to move him. But he did not do as many Christians do today. And when they began to feel a little bit of heat for being a Christian, they allowed their so called persecution to move them away from the things of God to where they'll hush and be quiet and they won't make any stir for Jesus and they're not going to run the risk of making anybody upset. But what, what, what's, uh, what Philip did was he did allow persecution to move him, but in, instead of it moving him away from the things of God, he let persecution move him toward the things of God and literally into the perfect center of the will of God for his life. Not once, but twice in this passage. Stephen begins excuse me, Philip begins here in one place and before the end of the chapter he will end up in another place. This man Philip is a man that is mentioned here in the Bible and the passage that we're reading from uh, this morning is the lengthiest passage of what we know about him in the word of God. To be honest with you there is one more passage that mentions him outside of this and it's Acts chapter number 20 and all that says is they entered into the house of a man by the name of Philip the evangelist. As far as our details about who he is, the kind of life that he lived and the conversations and the ministry that he had, that was in motion for the master. This is the majority of what we have. He is a man that I say, I'll say this morning, first must be clarified. You say, preacher, why do you say that? Because there is, there are about four different men in the Bible who bore the name Philip. Philip was was a name that four men had. The first was a man by the name of Philip who the Bible tells us in uh, in the Gospels was uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ. The second Philip was the disinherited son of Herod the Great who the Bible tells us in Jesus' ministry was the husband of Herodias and the brother of Herod Antipas, the tetrarch of Galilee who was responsible for beheading John the Baptist. The Bible tells us of a third Philip which most historians believe to be another son of Herod the Great who for some reason he also decided to name Philip. Philip is known in history by other names, but did bear the name Philip. He's mentioned in Luke chapter number 3 and verse number 1 as the Tetrarch of, At- of Aturia, The Bible here tells us of a fourth Philip. So you have the apostle, you have a son of Herod the Great that was seen as an embarrassment to his father, completely disinherited and had no real public life at all. Then you had one that was his father's essentially redemption son that was uh, given his own rare area of influence and authority. And now you have this man in Acts chapter number 8 by the name. Philip who was one of the first of uh, the second name mentioned after Stephen of the seven deacons that were called. Amen. So he's a man that must be clarified. We've got to figure out which Philip we're talking about. It's the one that was a deacon. Amen. But then not only is he a man that must be clarified but he is a man who may be commended. You say preacher what are you talking about? Think about what the Bible says here in verse number 5. The Bible said, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. As far as we know in the biblical record, outside of Jesus himself, who had the John chapter number four experience with a woman of Samaria, as far as we know, Philip was the very first Christian evangelist to the Samaritans. When he, the Bible said that he went down to go to the city of Samaria to preach Christ to them, think about this. The Bible says that he went down, but he didn't do so in a way that many people do, and in the scriptures, when the Bible said they went down, talking about going down to an area of wickedness, the Bible talks about Jonah going down, and that was him running away from the command of God for his life. The Bible talks about that Samson went down and had unholy relationships with women that he was not married to. Down is always a bad direction to go in your life. You don't want to go down. You want to go up. But here we find that Philip went down and it wasn't for the wrong reasons. He went down because God was leading him to go down. And it's because there are people going down if it is a picture of living a sinful life. There are people People down there who need the gospel, and God sent a Christian servant to them. That was submitted to the will of God to go down. He should be commended for going down. Many will refuse to go down to help anyone, to help someone, to come to come to Christ or to be saved. And many don't want to be inconvenienced by going down to help anyone. But Philip was willing to go down. He should be commended for that. But not only should he be commended for going down, but he should be commended for his declaration. The Bible said that he preached Christ unto them. Many have much to say about everything else, but have very little to say about Jesus. P- excuse me, Philip had something to say about Jesus. And he made sure those he came in contact with heard about Jesus. Amen. Uh, uh, every, everybody, uh, uh, there are some people that can name every stat of their favorite sports team player, but they cannot tell you even what their favorite verse is. Philip had something to say about Christ He should be commended for his declaration That he preached Christ He should be commended because of his desired results Verse number 6 says After he preached Christ unto them That the people with one accord Gave heed unto those things Which Philip spake Hearing and seeing the miracles Which he did Let me ask you this When was the last time that you I or we had those kind of results he preached Christ and the Bible said that the people a group of people, the people of the city of Samaria with one accord did what he told them to do concerning Christ. What wonderful results of Philip's ministry is described here in this passage. The Bible said the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which he spake. Why did they do it? They heard what he said, and they saw the things that he had done. In this particular period of time, dispensationally, they saw miracles being done by him. Verse 7 said, for unclean spirits, crying with with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and and that were lame, were healed. And there was great joy in that city. I would surmise that there would be. You have a city trusting in Christ. You have a you have a demon possessed city to where their demons are that they are possessed with are leaving them. I'm telling you that would produce some joy. You know why there's not much joy in our country and in our nation? It's because we're living in a demon possessed nation. uh, If we get rid of all the demons, amen, our nation might be able to have some revival and some joy, amen. The Bible here says that, and by the way, again, I don't have time to preach on uh, the the, the way different things work dispensationally when it comes to healing and things. That's another message for a different day. But in this period of time, dispensationally, they are still underneath the realm of the Mark chapter 16 Great Commission where he told them that they were to go and preach the gospel. But then it said these times shall follow them which believe. And one of them was that there would be evil spirits that would be cast out. It's in the same context. There is this great commission of Christ he is on the move. The master's plan is, on, is in motion here in this passage. And so there's great results taking place in this city. But also let me say this. He should be commanded for his departure. You say, preacher, why should we commend him for his departure? Look at verse 26. I know I'm skipping a bunch of verses. I have to. I don't have time to deal with Simon the sorcerer. You keep that in context with verse seven there. There's let me just put it this way: there's all kinds of wonderful things happening in Samaria. Amen. He goes to Samaria, he preaches Christ, he presents Jesus to them, and God starts blessing the city's socks off. Amen. By the way, that's what happens when you let Jesus get in your life. That's what happens when you let Jesus get in your home, get in your town, get in your country. That's what happens. God starts blessing and doing miracles and helping folks, amen, getting them saved by the grace of God. But I say this, Philip's a man that should be commended because of his departure, because in verse number 26, the Bible says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. You say, preacher, that doesn't mean very much to me. I promise you this. If you were a preacher of the gospel, it would mean something to you. Because I know as a preacher, if I'm in a meeting where God is just blessing and God is moving and God is stirring and then there's another place to go, amen, and preach, that's fine. God called you, but it's hard to leave. Can you imagine? He preached first time in Samaria and they just readily received what he said and God did a major work. The People are being saved. Demons are being cast out of people and God says now while you're there and I've been blessing the way I have been and using your life the way I have been, I'm going to send you to somewhere else. He said that he was sending them, again, I'm preaching a ton of things in a short amount of time, but he notice he says he's sending them on the way from Jerusalem to Gaza. The word Jerusalem there, it means peace. An area where they was that, that, that area, amen, was, it was a, that meant part of his ministry, they were receiving him peacefully. But he had to go. He had to go toward Gaza. Gaza was a ph- Philistine stronghold, and the word the word Gaza literally means fortified. In other words, it means that they're going to have walls up, heavily fortified area. You're going to go from a place where you preached and they got saved, but I'm going to send you to a place you're going to preach and everybody in town is going to have walls up. I think I've been in a Gaza Baptist church from time to time. You see why there is a condemnation, there, a commendation rather that he deserves just for being willing to go? Yes, sir. Can I say this? When we come to church and we have meetings like we had this week, I feel like we've had a pretty good service this morning. Amen. And you come in here and we have revival and we have a good time and we shout the praises of God and worship God. But then you got to go out to an area where you're going to be called to present Christ to someone that's gotten more than their fair share of walls up. It may be hard to leave the glory of the house of God to do the work of the ministry out there. But that's what God's called us to do. And when God called Philip to leave the crowds and to leave the revival efforts he called him to go to Gaza where he knows he would meet somebody and there'd be walls up in that region and he did not know what he was going to face when he got there. The Bible tells us all that he faced, God called him to lead a revival where an entire city is here in his preaching and getting right with God to where now he is called to give the gospel to one eunuch sitting in a chariot by a roadside. Sitting there with the book of I'm I'm, again, I'm, I'm trying to shorten a lot of stuff. Amen. You read the Bible at home. Amen. I, I'll tell you what it says. We'll read it instead of me reading it with you. I'm just trying to summarize. <laughs> Y'all know that's hard for me. <laughs> I can do it, but it's hard for me. I don't like doing it. But Philip will encounter a man that the Bible calls a eunuch. He works for a lady from Ethiopia that is a queen of the Ethiopians by the name of Candace. She has put him in authority of all of her treasury. This is a very important man that has as much as you would imagine for the world to have. These eunuchs would oftentimes be tasked with taking care of monarchs in their bedchambers. They were guards. This one had risen above the normal rank of a eunuch, which is a bedchamber guard that protected them to where now he said that she, the, the queen, is not only letting him be in charge with her life but also with every bit of her livelihood. He is a man the Bible says is of great authority. He has power. He has prestige. No doubt he has wealth. He definitely has influence. But what he did not have was an understanding of Christ. But what he did have was some peace of the book of Isaiah and out of every scroll that he could have taken on a journey with him, out of every piece of scripture he could have had, when God sends Philip to him. And the Bible said he sent him there. And the Bible said this, that Philip saw him and ran to him. Literally, I looked it up. Y'all know I like to look it up. It simply means you can try to turn it however you want but it means that he ran he saw a man that left a revival of a large city a large crowd that was following his preaching he saw one saw it as an opportunity from God and was still excited to give the gospel to one that had just given a gospel to the crowd I like that the church is full this morning but I have been to nursing homes and priests, like I'm doing to you right now, to two little old ladies, and had some of the best church you could ever have. Amen. We have a God Amen. that is faithful to the crowds, and He's faithful to the one. Christian You and I as Christian servants should be faithful to large groups of ministry, and to even just one if God will let us. And the Bible said out of everything He had, out of every piece of Isaiah He could have had. He had Isaiah 53. Amen. And he was reading about that suffering servant. Yes, sir. That the Messiah is going to come and he would be wounded. Look at your Bible. Look at what he read. This is what he's reading out of the book of Isaiah. Acts chapter number 8 in verse number 32. The Bible said, "In the place of the Scripture which he read was this. He was led... As a sheep to the slaughter And like a lamb Dumb before his shears So he opened not his mouth In his humiliation His judgment was taken away And who shall declare his generation For his life is taken From the earth Verse 30 said Philip ran Thither to him And the Bible said that Philip recognizing That opportunity looked at the eunuch and said Understandest thou what thou readest and the, notice verse 31, the eunuch said, How can I? Except some man should guide me. You know, before somebody saved, they don't have the spirit of God in them that teaches them what that Bible means. God may just be sending you and I that have the spirit of God and know what the Bible's saying to guide somebody on the, All, all this Eunuch needed was just somebody to guide him and what the spirit, what what the what the Scripture said. And notice the last line he read: the Bible said, "And who shall declare his generation?" for his life is taken from the earth. It is amazing the last thing the Bible says that they read was who shall declare his generation? Who shall declare his being generated? Who shall declare him coming forth? And then verse number 30 uh, verse number uh, 34 the Bible says well let's look at verse 35. The Bible said that eunuch verse 34 said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this of himself or of some other man? And Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. The question that the scripture I ask that he's thinking about is, who is gonna tell me that this man has been generated? Who shall declare his generation? Who shall declare his life? And Philip sits down and says, I can tell you about that, man. I can declare unto you his generation. I can tell you who he is. And he preached unto him Jesus. He told him that it was Jesus. After that, yeah, there's so, so much I can say about Philip here. had so much written down. Amen. Uh, I just, I, he saw a conversion. And it's simply what I'm going to state to you. There's so much I can preach. So I'm going to have to take those uh, points home. Amen. Look at verse, 37, verse 36. The Bible said, And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? The Bible said, verse 37, Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Phew. What a wonderful answer he gives. He answered and said, And last Sunday morning, almost in these exact words, not necessarily as prim and proper as our King James language, but I know for last Sunday morning I heard my son say, I believe, I believe, he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Here in this passage about the, the Master's ministry being on the move, the Great Commission is being continued and we were told to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We were told once those people are saved by the grace of God, once they believe that we are to baptize them. Here in this passage, again, making a lot of preaching, trying as short as I can this morning. Notice about this man. He believed as an adult as an individual here and why say adult to say this he he was he had a, he wasn't an infant he had a mental capability to say i believe when you baptize someone as an infant You can, like the Catholics do And like the Lutherans do They cannot baptize that infant And say this baby believes He doesn't have the capability to believe He's just an infant For this baptismal service to take place Someone has had to have said To the officiant That I have believed that Jesus Christ Is the Son of God And the Bible here tells tells us about that baptism he said here is water what doth hinder me to be baptized here he is looking at a body of water when he said here is water he's not looking at one of these here is water so whether or not I do this and fling water. Here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? I even I believe what keeps me from doing this as a mode of baptism or doing as some do, if the Westlands do and others, will take the Methodist as well, take the pitcher of water and pour it over someone's head. Why is it if here is water? Amen. There's water in here, but there's also water in here. Notice what he goes on to say. He says in verse number in verse number 38, when that eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Bible said that immediately. By the way, guys, and if you haven't been baptized, but you've been saved, I'm not fussing. We have one this morning that was saved some time in the past, but is getting baptized this morning. I commend that. Yeah. But I'm your pastor, and as your pastor, I will tell you what I believe the passage here is teaching, and that is that it is not God's will for anyone to linger around about the idea of baptism. My son, when I already had Miss Anna being baptized this morning, before White even got saved, when White got saved last Sunday, last Sunday morning, I immediately decided... He's going to be baptized today. He's five years old. At this point in his life, it is my job as his dad to be the one that points him to truth. And in that, I'm not just his daddy, by the way. I'm also his pastor. And I'm going to make sure that he does right. He doesn't tell me when he gets baptized. Here, the Bible said... He said, I believe. I was there when my son called on Christ. And the Bible said that Philip immediately at that moment said, let's make this carriage stand still. There's water over here. We can take care of business right now. If baptism in that verse is said to be the first step of obedience into having a Christian life, why linger around as, as someone that saved Without ever taking that first step. This is a first step into, into walking with God. And I'm, I, I hate to say it, so many of our churches are failing believers by not telling them that. I'm not fussing at Miss Anna this morning because she hasn't been, hadn't been baptized until now. I, and I, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. but Somebody failed her. By not teaching her that it is important To be saved And as soon as you can be baptized so I'm going to make sure my boy knows better And the Bible here says again and That that was just a little extra But no, here's what I was after He commanded the chariot to stand still And they went down Both of them Philip and the eunuch went down into the water I, I'm bigger than most and smaller than some. But it don't matter if I was the smallest, the smallest person in here. I ain't fitting in there. I can barely fit my, some of my fingers in the top of that bottle. I can't get in there. Why are we doing this instead of doing that? Because if I dip my finger in here and I fling water at somebody and sprinkle them, I did not get down in water and neither did the baptismal candidate. Yeah, right. The Bible says here, verse number 38, they went down both them into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. Do you think God's wanting to highlight that? Yeah. And he baptized him. By the way, the word baptism means complete immersion. Yeah, right. It lit- the Greek word literally means to be made fully wet. Yes, sir. If, if, when I baptize these folks, if we can't look at them and say, yep, they're fully wet, I didn't do my job. They're not baptized yet. That's why me and Brother Caldwell in the past have had to work on baptisms to get people fully wet. Amen. Yeah. The Bible said in verse 39 and when they were come up out of the water. Baptism means full immersion. Baptism means you've got to go all the way under, and there is a, you had to go down far enough where you can say that you came all the way up out of the water. Here in this passage of Scripture, we find Philip taking that message of the death... And the burial and the resurrection of Christ Taking it from Jerusalem It is spreading because of persecution through Judea It has come to Samaria And now a a sinner from Samaria Has given their heart to Jesus And he's preached the gospel to every creature Every, every He preached the gospel to that creature He believed, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved He believed, the next step, the master's ministry in motion The next step of the Great Commission, once they're saved, is to baptize them Then you disciple them And you continue that process, that's the Great Commission One pastor I sat under one time, uh, Pastor Travis Blackwell Made this statement that in the local church you are to win them, wed them and work them that's what we're going to start doing today That's what we're doing this morning, amen In the Bible What we're, I wanted I, 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 Again This one probably was all over the place And a lot of it's because I only preached About half of this and summarized a third Of it or something But let me say this I wanted you to see That what we're doing this morning Is something that is just Intrinsically biblical We are in the 21st century doing exactly what Jesus told the first century church to do. And in 2,000 years, this New Testament church is still doing what Jesus said to do. God is taking, I'm so, aren't you glad that God's gospel, the doctrine of Christ is the the word of God endures to all generations and anyone that wants to be saved can be saved saved. 2,000 years ago that was the case. In the first century when this unit got saved, that was the case. And it's still the case today. And the baptism we're going to have here in just a moment is nothing short of proof of that. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I hope you're saved. I hope you're thankful to be saved. I hope you're working in the work of the master's ministry that is in motion. And I hope you will be a part of the ministry of this church as we seek to endeavor to do the work of Christ as he moves it from this church here in Lexington to our community, to our state, and around the world. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.